Chapter 16 of D99 by H.B. Fife. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 16 In the communications room of Department 99, Westervelt could actually hear people around him breathing, so hushed was the gathering. Someone was leaning on his shoulder, but he was reluctant to attract attention by moving. Static sounds and the clicking and humming of various mechanisms about the room suddenly became unnaturally noticeable. Glancing this way and that, he discovered that the entire staff had drifted in during the transmission from Yolene. There were at least two people behind him, to judge by the breathing and the weight on his shoulder. So intense had been the excitement that he did not remember anyone but Smith arriving. He saw better to the left than to the right and became conscious of his eye again. Westervelt had drawn up his chair behind and to the left of the operator, and Smith had perched himself on the end of a table behind Joe. Beside the chief stood Simonetta, with Beryl behind her. Parrish was to Westervelt's left, so he concluded that Leidman and Pauline must be behind him. The grip on his right shoulder felt small to be Leidman's, but he could not see down at the necessary angle because of the puffiness under his eye. The broad-shouldered stocky man on the screen moved to the stairway and looked up, straight into their eyes. Is this still going out to Terra, Simmons? he asked. He had dark hair, with a crinkly wave in it, which permitted him to appear less disheveled than the men about him or standing over the body of Gerson. He pulled out a large white handkerchief to wipe the streaming perspiration from his face. Yes, sir, answered the voice of the distant operator. You're looking right into the concealed pickup. I'll switch the audio from Terra to the loudspeaker system, and you can talk to them. Westervelt glanced at the other men in the embassy on Yolene. Several of them obviously suffered from minor injuries. All of them wore expressions of tragedy. One man in his shirt sleeves was standing with his shoulders against the base of the stairway, head thrown well back trying to staunch the flow of blood from his nose. Another with his back to the lens knelt beside the body of Gerson. A couple of others looking helpless were lighting cigarettes. I suppose you saw the end of it, the man on the stairs said. Smith cleared his throat and leaned over Joe Rosencrantz's shoulder. We saw, he answered. I, is there any doubt that he's dead? The men on the stairs looked to the group around the body. The doctor shook his bandaged head sadly. As much from strain and exhaustion as anything else, he reported. The man belonged in a hospital, but some uncanny conditioning drove him on. In the end, his heart gave out. The stocky man turned back to the lens. You heard that. Except for one man who didn't know at the time what was going on, we did the best we could. I'm Delaney, by the way, in charge here. Smith identified himself and agreed that Gerson had looked to be unmanageable. Do you think you can find what they used, he asked. I gather that you never got anything out of him since the time you picked him up. Did that part of it go according to plan? Oh yes, said Delaney. We even got back the little torch we sent him, the way you plotted for us. It looked used, too. But now I'm wondering if they let him cut his way out. I wouldn't doubt it, said Smith gloomily. I'm afraid we didn't look very bright on this one. We seem to have underestimated the Yolanites badly. There isn't too much information on them available here. Nor here, to tell the truth, said Delaney. Which reminds me, our Captain McLean has been after me for a long time to put more pressure on the DIR about that. Could you duplicate your tape and send them a copy? It would save us another transmission, and you might like to add your own comments. Smith promised to have it done. He also offered, to soothe Captain McLean, to send an extra copy to the Space Force. There seemed to be nothing more to say. The scene on the screen blanked out as the distant operator spoke to Rosencrantz on audio only from his own shot-up office. Then it was over. Westervelt, aware that the pressure on his shoulder was gone, looked around. Leidman had his arm about a shaken Pauline. The ex-spacer's expression was blank, but the hardness of his eyes made the youth shiver. For a second, 
He thought he detected a slight resemblance to the man who had come bounding down the stairs on Yolene, leaving crisscross trails of rocket smoke in the air. That's crazy, he thought the next instant. And he lost the resemblance. He blinked, fingered his tender eye, and looked around at the others. Everyone was subdued, staring at the blank and quiet receiver or at the floor. Westervelt was surprised to see that Beryl was crying. She raised a forefinger to scrub the tears from her cheek. Hesitantly, Westervelt took the neatly folded handkerchief from his breast pocket and held it out. Beryl scrubbed the other cheek, looked at the handkerchief without raising her eyes to his, and accepted it. She blotted her eyes, examining the cloth, and whispered, Sorry, Willie. I think I got makeup on it. Smith stirred uncomfortably at the whisper. He stood up and spoke one short word with a depth of emotion. Then he kicked the leg of the table to relieve his feelings. Rosencrantz swiveled around in his chair, waiting to see if any other calls were to be made. Smith took a deep breath. You'll make copies of the tape when you can, Joe? Sure, said the operator sympathetically. Well, said Leidman, at the rear of the group. That's another one lost. Tomorrow we'll open a permanent file on Yolene, as Pete suggests. Yes, I imagine they'll give us more business, agreed Parrish. Leidman growled. I'll give them the business next time, he threatened. Well, that kind of damps the pile for tonight. I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm in no mood now to be clever. Smith straightened up abruptly. Now, now wait a minute, he spluttered. I mean, we all feel pretty low, naturally. Still, this wasn't the main... Serious as this was, we were trying to push on this other case, to get a start anyway. Here we go again, thought Westervelt. Shall I try to trip him up if anything happens? Or shall I just get out of the way? He recalled the man in the embassy on Yolene, holding a stained handkerchief to his bloody nose, and measured the size of his own with the tip of a forefinger. On the other hand, if there should be a melee, it would certainly cover a little item like a puffy eye. He wondered if he would have the guts to poke out his head at the proper instant, and was rather afraid that he would. Parrish was murmuring about sticking to the job at hand, trying to support Smith without arousing the antagonism of an open argument. Leidman seemed unconvinced. Why don't we all have a round of coffee, suggested Simonetta. If we can just sit down a few minutes and pull ourselves together. Smith looked at her gratefully. Yes, he said. That's the least we can do, Bob. This was a shock to us all, but the girls felt it more. I don't believe any of them wants to hit the street all shaken up like this. Right, Si? I would like to sit down somewhere, said Simonetta. Here, exclaimed Westervelt, leaping up. He had forgotten that he had been rooted to the chair since before the others had crept into the room during the transmission from Yolene. Never mind, Willie, Simonetta said. I didn't mean I was collapsing. Come on, Beryl, let's see if there's any coffee or tea left. Wait for me, said Pauline. I've got to take this phone off the outside line anyway. Smith stepped forward to plant one hand behind Leidman's shoulder blade. I could use a martini myself, he called after the girls. How about the rest of you? Pete? Willie? Paris seconded the motion. Westervelt said he would be right along and trailed them slowly to the door. He paused to look back, and he and Joe exchanged brow-mopping gestures. The rest of them were trooping along the corridor without much talk. He ambled along until the men, bringing up the rear, had turned the corner. Then he ducked into the library. He fingered his eye again. Either it was a trifle less sore, or he was getting used to it. He still hesitated to face an office full of people and good lighting. There must be something around here to read, he muttered. He walked over to a stack of current magazines. Most of them were technical in nature, but several dealt with world and galactic news. He took a few steps to his seat at the long table and began to leaf through one. It must have been about 15 minutes later that Simonetta showed up, bearing a sealed cup of tea and one of coffee. So that's where you are, she said. I was taking something to Joe and thought maybe I'd find you along the way. Westervelt deduced that she had phoned the operator. You can have the coffee, she said, setting it beside his magazine. Joe said he'd rather have tea this time around. Westervelt looked up, 
Simonetta saw his eye and pursed her lips. Well, how does it look? asked Westervelt glumly. Kind of pretty. If I remember the ones my brothers used to bring home, it will be ravishingly beautiful by tomorrow. That's what I was afraid of, said Westervelt. Simonetta laughed. She set the tea aside and pulled out a chair. I don't think it's really that bad, Willie, she told him. I was only fooling. It shows, though, huh? Oh, yes, it shows. That's what I like about you, Si, said Westervelt. You don't ask nasty, embarrassing questions like how it happened or which door closed on me. Following which, he told her nearly the whole story, leaving out only the true origin of the quarrel. He suspected that Simonetta could put two and two together, but he meant to tell nobody about the start of it. Oh, Willie, she said with a grin at the conclusion. If you had to fall for a blonde, why couldn't you pick little Pauline? I guess you're right. Now don't take that so seriously, too. Beryl's a good sort, on the whole. In a day or two, this will all blow over. Come on with me to see Joe. Then we'll go back and say you got something in your eye. But when? Oh, during the message from Yolene. You didn't want to bother anybody at the time, so you foolishly kept rubbing it until he got sore. That's all right, said Westervelt. But Beryl knows different. If she opens her mouth, I shall personally punch her in the eye, declared Simonetta. She giggled at the idea, and he found himself grinning. They went along the corridor to deliver the tea to Rosencrantz, and then returned to the main office. An air of complete informality prevailed, a reaction from the scene they had witnessed. There was a good deal of wandering about with drinks, sitting on desks, and inconsequential chatter. No one seemed to want to talk shop, and Westervelt guessed that Smith was just as pleased to be able to kill some time. He himself quietly slipped around the corner to his own desk, where he propped his heels up and sipped his coffee. Westervelt listened as Parrish and Smith told a few jokes. The stories tended to be more ironic than funny, and no one was expected to laugh out loud. Pauline from her switchboard buzzed the phone on Simonetta's desk, since most of those present had gravitated to the end of the office. Smith looked around in the middle of an account of his struggles with his radio-controlled lawnmower. Want to take that, Willie? He said with a bare suggestion of a wink. Westervelt lifted a hand in assent. He climbed out of his chair and went to the phone on Beryl's desk, where he would be as nearly private as possible. Who is it, Pauline? He asked when she came on. It's Joe. He wants to talk to Mr. Smith. Give it here on number seven, said Westervelt. The boss is talking. Pauline blanked out and was replaced by the communications man. Rosencrantz showed a flicker of surprise at the sight of Westervelt. Smitty's in a crowd, murmured the youth. Something up? Not much, maybe, said the other. A message came in by commercial TV. I guess they didn't think it was too urgent, but I'll give you the facts if you think Smitty would like to know. Hold on, said Westervelt. Let's see, where does Beryl keep a pen? He dug out a scratch pad and something to scribble with and nodded. One of our own agents, said Joe, named Robertson, signed this. You've seen his reports, I guess. Yeah, sounds familiar. It says, after reading between our standard code expressions, that two spacers and a tourist were convicted of inciting revolution on Epsilon ND2. They gave the names and all, which I taped. That's practically in our backyard, said Westervelt. Maybe he just wants to alert us, but the DIR ought to be working on that publicly. Sure there wasn't any hint it was urgent? No, and like I said, it came by commercial relay. Okay, the boss has enough on his mind at the moment. Let's figure out having a tape for him to look at in the morning. I'll find a chance to mention it to him so he'll know about it. All right? All right with me, grinned Rosencrantz. If anything goes wrong, I'll refer them to you. Be prepared to have your other eyes split in. He cut off, leaving Westervelt with his mouth open and his regained aplomb shaky. The youth waited until he caught Smith's eye and shook his head to indicate the unimportance of the call. He wondered if he ought to take time to phone downstairs for a report on the situation. It did not strike him as worth the risk with all the people in the same room. 
He saw Beryl strolling his way and rose from her chair. That's all right, Willie, she said calmly, setting her packaged drink on the desk. I just wanted to give you back your handkerchief. She produced it from the purse lying on her desk and said, Thanks again. I'm sorry about the makeup marks. Forget it, said Westervelt. I'm sorry about the eye, too, said Beryl, raising her eyes for the first time to examine the damage. It doesn't look as bad as Cy said. Well, that's a comfort anyway. I got something in it and rubbed it too hard, you know. Yes, she told me, said Beryl. To tell the truth, Willie, I didn't know I could do it. Ah, it was a lucky swing, muttered Westervelt. Yes, I... Well, you might say I was a little upset. I'm sorry I started it all, said Westervelt. How about letting me buy you a lunch to make up? Beryl shrugged, looking serious. I don't mind if we make it Dutch. It was as much my fault. I hope we're both around to go to lunch tomorrow. It gives me the creeps. What does? asked Westervelt. The way Mr. Lydman looks. Something about his eyes. Westervelt turned his head to stare across the room, wondering if the worst had occurred. End of chapter 16